with Bible study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. That's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that webpage, and there's a button that you can toggle, and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. could be just saying hi, or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. Zechariah chapter 3, Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Somebody volunteer to read that? Go ahead. And he showed him Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? All right. Thanks for reading that. And so what we have here is a prophetic vision, uh, something that Zechariah is seeing. Uh, This is for the people of Jerusalem, something that they needed to hear. And he's speaking, and he's a contemporary of uh, Haggai, who we uh, looked at last time we had Bible study, and these two were prophesying over Jerusalem at a time where they had come back, and many of them come back from captivity, and they were beginning already to forget what sent them to captivity in the first place. And so they're prophesying over the people, and they're reminding them, and they're bringing them to a place, and they're saying, listen, uh, we need to get our things, you know, we need to get things together here. Uh, there's a temple that needs to be built. There's there's walls that need to be built around the city. The city needs to be rebuilt. Uh, it, was, it was left in ruins. They had lost everything. And there's no time for them to be ignoring God. And basically that was the issue that was going on, is that the people had come back and immediately just went about their own business, whatever that was. They immediately had just started trying to build back their wealth. They had immediately just started trying to, to, to regain what they had lost, what their families had lost during the captivity. And in a lot of ways, they were ignoring God. They were ignoring what He was requiring, what He wanted, and what He was looking for. And so that level of, and they would call it selfishness, that level of selfishness, uh, these prophets were trying to remind them, like, well, you ignoring God was one of the main reasons that you were sent off to Babylon in the first place. So let's stop ignoring God, and, and let's begin to move forward in His will, His purpose, and His plan. And that was the idea behind it. And so both Zechariah and, and Haggai were really prophesying life. They wanted to prophesy life over the people, to God's people, they, they wanted to, to, be able to prophesy into them because the, the idea behind that is that if they prophesied into the people, in other words, they took the time to speak God's word into them, the idea was is that the inward 
if it was corrected, would enhance whatever they did on the outside. Or if the inward was messed up and not corrected, then it would hinder what was going on on the outside of these people. And so because they wanted to see the work of God going forth, because they wanted to see the, the city of Jerusalem to prosper again, they wanted to see God's people to prosper again, because they wanted to see things moving forward again, they began to prophesy in such a way they're prophesying to the inward man, the inward person. Because it's the inward person that directly affects the outward. It's not the other way around. And I want you to think about that for a second because you think about most discipleship takes place in the church. And I've talked about this for years, and this is a great example of this. Most discipleship that's taking place inside the church, somebody comes to know Jesus. They come into a relationship with God. First thing that people decide or people try to do with them is they want to correct their outward behavior. Or they want to correct the way that they look. Now, they want to correct the way that they speak, or something like that. And it's usually some outward correction that's going to take place. The issue with that is that that makes an assumption. And the assumption is, is that the outward affects the inward. But throughout the Scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament, this passage being one that I'm sharing with you that shows the same thing, is that the inward actually, according to the Scriptures, affects the outward. It's the other way around. And so discipleship needs to revolve around what's going on inside of us. It needs to revolve around what's happening in here, and eventually, as things inside begin to change, you begin to see an outward change taking place in the person. Now, what's the problem with that? Well, here's the problem with that is that as people, we, we judge by what we see and what we hear. That's the problem. And, it's, and the fact of the matter is most people, most leaders in the body of Christ, do not want to wait around for the outward to change because they're being judged by people out there about what's going on inside their church. What do I mean by that? No, what I mean by that? I could tell you story after story about this. Meaning... We got somebody going to give a testimony in church. This, this literally happened years ago. So they're going, to, they're going to say something good that God did, and so they start telling us about all the good things that God did, but they drop like three or four F-bombs in the middle of their, their, uh, their story or whatever they're telling. Now, that's taking place upstairs on a Sunday morning. Now, all right, so who's angry at that? Okay, you got your traditional religious people angry at that. You got your parents angry at that. You got anybody that's visiting that's just looking for something wrong angry with that, and they're judging it. And so do we have the patience as a body of Christ to allow for a person to change over time as the Holy Spirit works inside of them? Do we have the patience to allow and wait for that work of the Holy Spirit to do the work in them that's necessary to bring them into a place where things begin to change, reflecting what's happened on the inside, begin to change on the outside. Do we have the patience for that? And I really, I firmly believe we need to have the patience for that. And we need to just let it go. I mean, you think about Jesus, think about his ministry. I know you don't think about him this way, but you should. That What was he accused of by the Pharisees? A glutton, a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Why? Because he hung out with 
tax collectors and sinners. He wasn't a glutton or a wine-bibber, but they accused him of that because of the people that he was around. Did he stop hanging out with people because he was accused of those things? No. No. He just didn't care. And that has to be something that grows up in us as God's people that we've got bigger fish to fry than what that guy on the corner that's never going to step foot into the church really thinks about it. Or that guy over there that's too busy judging to even know Jesus. Alright? We have to be bigger than that. We have to have a bigger vision than that. We have to have a bigger understanding of how God does things than that. And so what's going to happen? Well, every now and then there's something that, that's embarrassing or could be embarrassing that happens. You know, we, we encourage people to share in church, right? Yeah, until the girl stands up on the side and starts talking about UFOs during share time. It's all good until then, right? But it's still good. It's still good. Because she hasn't been changed by the power of God yet in the way that's going to affect the way that she sees things or the way she's going to say things. And so i got I got to have the patience to wait for that. Because most of the people sitting in there, they don't, they don't worry about her talking about UFOs. I don't worry about her talking about UFOs. and bother me one bit. But it bothers some people. And, and what happens is over time is that those people just kind of go find a nicer place to go. A place where everybody is nice on the outside. And I want to tell you something. Jesus talked about people like that. Nice on the outside, but rotting on the inside. That's how he described them. They're like whitewashed sepulchers full of dead men's bones. He talked about how you want to clean your dish, you need to clean the inside of the bowl or the outside of the bowl. All these people worry about cleaning the outside of the bowl. Well, it looks nice. Do you want to eat out of that? Is that really what we eat out of? Is that really the way we wash dishes? I think we wash dishes, you clean the inside, and you said the outside would be clean too. That's what Jesus said. And you start going down a list of the teachings of Jesus. You start going down a list of things that he did and the situations that he found himself in and the things that he said. And what you begin to understand is that it's the inside that matters. It's the inside. And let the outside take care of itself. But we need to be big enough to allow for that to happen in our midst. We need to be a people convinced this is how God works. This is how Jesus works. This is what he modeled. These are the things that he said. This is the teaching that he gave. That he was falsely accused. That that he was, you know, because of who he was around. And all those things. And really begin to understand that. And really begin to allow that to sink in. And to give the Holy Spirit his time. Give the Holy Spirit his place in people's lives. And trust the Holy Spirit to take care of the things that some people are so worried about. That in the long run, in eternity, and in the whatever it is, decades, years, whatever it's going to be ahead, ain't going to matter anything. It's just not going to matter. So I encourage you to afresh, like just let the the Holy Spirit remind you of some things. Let Him begin to remind you of some things, some first things about how he operates and what really matters. 
I'd rather have somebody honest. That if they have something going on inside of them, honestly say it or honestly portray it or honestly express it somehow. Because at least at that point, there's some kind of a, a, a way that they're, they're allowing for God to change them. And really, isn't that what it's all about? I think. So we, we have a situation here, Zechariah and, and, you got Zechariah and Haggai. And they're really, they're, they're more concerned about what's going on inside of people. I mean, they're concerned about what's happening around them. They're concerned about things that need to be getting done, that God's commanded and God's directed that just aren't getting done. They're concerned about that. But where do they go after people? Not about, oh, you know, everybody's got to you know, put in two hours or, or whatever. They're not, they didn't do that. They didn't shame people. They weren't trying to do that. What they were trying to do is they were speaking to the heart. They were speaking to the spirit. They were speaking to the selfishness. They were speaking into people because they knew if they changed on the inside that the outward would follow along. They knew that. And in the Old Testament, you see that with the prophets, specifically with the prophets speaking to the heart of the matter, which is in us. Speaking to the heart of the matter, which was in those people. And, and if you think about it in terms of that, you have to think about the prophet or the spiritual man, like that, whoever's spiritual. You think about the prophet is truly, and this is going to sound weird, but I want you to just follow along with me here. The prophet or the spiritual man is truly the practical man. Because when it comes right down to it, it's the prophet or the spiritual man speaking into the spirit of people that you're actually going to see practical change on the outside. And it's going to last and it's going to be real. That's why they're the practical man. So instead of seeing certain things spiritually as, as like some added bonus, it's really the heart of the matter. And, and if any of you have been around me long enough... There'll be times I will speak to somebody and I will speak to something that you would not think really matters about what the problem is. Like, why is he talking about this? Why, what, what does this have to do with anything? Well, it may have everything to do with it. Because when it comes right down to a practical change, sometimes it's something in the spirit, something small. Something that you would never highlight, never look at, probably wouldn't even come out in counseling. If you went through counseling, it wouldn't even come out. But it's that thing that's actually hindering what God wants to do through that person. And so, so being a spiritual person, you need to be open to those kind of things. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Well, maybe it doesn't. Not to your mind but it makes sense to your spirit or their spirit, more importantly, and that's the thing that needs to change to see a practical change in their life. Be open to that. And so Zechariah describes a vision that he has here, and the vision is of a trial that's taking place. And this trial, who's there is you got God. Alright, so God is God. You've got, he's the judge. You got Joshua, and Joshua is was at that time, literally, he's a person during the time of Haggai and Zechariah. Joshua was a literal person, and Joshua was the high priest at that time in Jerusalem. He's the guy. 
And so he's a real person. God's real. Joshua's real. He's representative, though. And you have to understand the role of the high priest, that the high priest was representative of, of God and the people. In other words, he was the mediator. And so he represented the people before God. That was his job. We don't have the high priest like that anymore uh, in the physical sense. We just have Jesus, who was our high priest. But they had an actual person that would act as their representative. Now, you think we still, you know, I want you to think about it. We still have situations like that. Like in international situations, like there's, a, there's some kind of a G-something summit going on right now. Who is the representative of the American people at the G-something summit that's going on right now? Anybody know? Joe Biden is representing the American people to the world. He is representative of us. And sometimes it's Secretary of State. We still entrust people with these kinds of things. We have a UN ambassador that represents us to the UN. We have ambassadors all around the world that represent the United States and, and foreign countries, other countries. They send their ambassadors here representing those countries to us. So, I mean, this is something that we still do. And so Joshua, in a practical sense, he was the representative of the people. So what you see here in this trial is you have God as the judge, you have Joshua representing all of us. So we're all on trial in the vision. Joshua is just representative of us. So we're all on trial. God's the judge. Satan's there too. All right, Satan is the prosecutor in this. That's who he is. The people, us, we're the defendant. Satan's the prosecutor. God's the judge. And an angel, and I'm going to put that in quotes, because as I've talked about before, and I've talked about this in the past, this is a very clear reference. It's a theophany. This is a very clear reference to Jesus. Jesus is the defense. He's the defense attorney. So that's the trial. So he gets this vision of a trial, and those are all the players in the trial. You've got God the judge, Joshua representing all of us. We're the defendants. you got Satan as the prosecutor, and then you've got Jesus as our defense attorney. Now, we didn't hear any pleadings. He, the vision didn't give him any of the pleadings, any of the witnesses, nothing. All that happens, all he sees in the vision is this. He sees the people that are involved in it, and then he see, hears the verdict. That's all you get. We don't know what arguments were made. We don't really know much about it. We do know some certain things about Satan. We know certain things about who he is, even by his name and the way he's described in this passage. We understand what he was doing there. But we didn't hear any of that. We don't get any kind of information on that. Zechariah apparently didn't hear any of that. And so this is the scene. This is the vision. This is what he sees. So everybody got that in your head? What are you seeing? Got a little trial going on. All the players in place. Anybody ever see Perry Mason? Yeah. Yeah, I used to watch that. Yeah. You ever see Ironsides? Yeah, that's another good one. No? Okay. Got you, Jeannie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. 
And so, here, here's, uh, here's what I want you to get out of this, not having any information on the actual goings-on. In other words, we don't have any information on any of the actual, like, talk during the trial. Like, we, we don't know what it was. We don't know what actually happened. But, you see, that gives us an emphasis. That gives us an emphasis, and this is it. The emphasis is, there's no emphasis on the accusations. Get it? We don't need to hear that. We don't need to hear what Satan had to say. We don't need to hear his arguments. We don't need to hear anything he had to go about. All right? There's no emphasis on that whatsoever. In fact, Zechariah wasn't even privy to that. Right? He didn't know. And so, therefore, we don't know. And all that needs to do, and all I want you to hear from that is, is that that is a great moment right there for us as God's people. We don't even need to hear that. Don't even need to hear it. And what that encourages me toward, what I hope that encourages you toward, is don't listen to that. Don't listen to that noise. You know, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. That's what he's described as in the Bible. And so he brings accusations. And so what this encourages me toward is you don't even need to listen to that. Trial's over. Right? And in some of us, we have a hard time tuning that out for some reason. You know, the, guy, you know I, the way that I started tuning that out is just by agreeing with it. All right? I don't want to hear it. I don't care. It's like he can come to me and say, oh, you're a terrible person. You're right. I am. You're mean. I'm mean. You're right. I'm mean. I'm not a nice person. Right, Maddie? That's the first thing I told her at her first intern meeting. I am not a nice person. You are not a nice person either. I was just letting you know. I know. See? I know. You either, Jeannie. That's right. So, you, you get that, and I hope you kind of understand that. It's like, so, how are you going to live? You going to keep defending yourself against the devil? I want to just tell you, that's kind of dumb. You don't waste a lot of energy doing that. Just a lot of energy defending yourself against the devil. He is a spiritual being. He knows what you're up to, okay, if he chooses to. He can't be everywhere all the time, but let's say he's watching you. He knows what you're up to. Who cares? Well, you did this. I did that. Yep. Well, you're involved in that. I am. I, I'm involved in that. Yeah. I don't have anything to say about it. Nothing. I, yeah, Okay. You know, I got, I got into a stupid discussion one time. Uh, I was, uh, I shouldn't have done it. I made a comment on an Instagram post. Never do that. Never. And I don't. I don't. It was like one time. And I, I only have Instagram because of where I, you know, like doing the stuff at the gym. I need to post uh, whatever. But I'm expected to do that. So I have an account and I'm expected to post stuff to it and that's it. Well, there was just one time I'm reading through something, and I'm like, oh, I should say something, and I did. Bad mistake, because immediately a troll, and I mean a troll, just latched onto it. Just latched right onto what I was saying. And, and then just started saying dumb stuff, because that's what trolls say. And, and so then I responded back. And and I didn't respond to anything they were saying. All I said was, I forget what I said. It was just something very straightforward. It wasn't you're stupid. It wasn't anything like that. It was just, um, I, I can't remember, but it was just something really straightforward. And so 
so this person, instead of talking about, because this is what trolls do, instead of talking about the issue that I had commented on, which was an actual issue, just started attacking me personally because they checked my Instagram account and found out stuff about me. And so one of the last things that they said before I blocked them was, they said, you're still bald. Yeah. And I'm like, I agree. <laughs> what am I going to say? No, I have a full head of hair. I don't have a full head of hair. I just don't. I'm not exactly bald, but who cares? All right? I have less hair than I did when I was 20. All right? And so they said that. I was like, yep, you're right. What am I going to say? And then I just blocked them. But why argue about it? Why argue about any of that? And some of you live under shame and you live under guilt. And part of the reason you live under shame and you live under guilt is because something inside of you just isn't accepting the truth of the matter. You don't have to live under shame. You don't have to live under guilt. You are who you are. You do what you do and that's all there is to it. We are who we are. It's not to be ashamed of. It's not to be guilty about. There's nothing to it like that. It's like, this is who I am. Oh, you're this way. Yes, I am. What am I going to say to that? Because if Satan knows it, and it's true, God already knows, okay? You're not hiding. Because he is everywhere all the time. And so it's something that is a known thing. Anybody that matters knows, and that's all there is to it. So we can't live under shame and guilt for something that we accept and know about ourselves. Maybe God's going to change us. Awesome. Maybe there's something inside of us that needs to be changed. Probably. Well, let's allow for that change and grow. Good. Well, what up until that time? It's okay. I mean, if I can have as a person, I'm a person, if I can have grace on a new believer coming in and dropping three F-bombs during a testimony, surely God has more grace than me. Guaranteed. Because I ain't got that much grace, but I can stand that. A kid jumps over the back row, right? And his pants fall down. I can stand that. Okay? All right. I, I, I can, I, I got grace for that. I'll pull your pants up. All right, good. Let's move on. Got a guy playing bass one day. Playing bass. Pants fall down. Can I accept that? I don't like it, but there it is. What am I going to do? Pull your pants up. All right? Yeah. Yeah. And if I got that much grace, how much more grace does God have for our lives? A lot. A lot. A lot more than we think. A lot more than we can even conceive of. His love is bigger than we can even know. And so... So you got Satan, who's the accuser, the accusation... You got this whole trial going on, and it's over before you know it. The verdict is given. And and the fact of the matter was is that Joshua, in his vision, was a dirty man. I know he was the high priest, and he was supposed to be representative of the people. Well, the people were dirty. That's why he was dirty. He appeared in the vision as being dirty, filthy. His clothes were all filthy. And and, and that idea of representative of all of us, well, that's a fact. We're dirty. And so it's not something that we need to argue about. I'm not going to argue about whether or not I'm dirty or not. It's just it's, it's pointless. It's fruitless. There's nothing to argue about. 
Somebody look at uh, 1 Peter 5 8. 1 Peter 5 8. Keep your finger in Zechariah. We're going to go back to that. But just I'll throw in a couple of verses here. Yeah, yeah, he's got one purpose, and that's to eat you up. He's going to eat you alive. All right, that's what he's going to do. That's his whole purpose. And if he can eat you alive with shame and guilt, he'll do that, because it will paralyze you spiritually. That's easy. All he has to do is start accusing you, and you get all guilt, you get all shame. And I'm talking to you people who grew up in the church. Most people I know didn't grow up in the church. They don't deal with this like you do. Because right? you were taught to deal with this. You were taught that this is how you, you're supposed to live. Oh, you're a good Christian, so what? You're going to live in guilt? You're going to live in shame? Oh, yeah. Well, that paralyzes you spiritually. And it's just not how God created us to live. He didn't. He didn't. Because all that is, all guilt and shame is as a point of control. That's all. If you got a man-made organization pushing guilt and shame, they're trying to control you. That's what they're doing. And they will control you through that guilt. They will control you through that shame. You know, this whole idea of public shaming that's come about over the last few years is a point of control. It's a point of control. Because I, I thought it went out with Hester Prim, but it didn't. All right, Scarlet Letter wasn't the end of it. Because now we have a whole generation don't even know what I'm talking about that think public shaming is, is completely and utterly acceptable in our society. Public shaming is, is completely acceptable to control people's behavior. I reject that. First time I saw there were signs people were putting on their lawns a few years ago that said, shame on CatCo. I found out who was distributing those signs, and I wrote them an email. And I said, public shaming. This is what we've come to now. Right? Whether you agree with John CatCo or not, I don't care. But you're going to publicly shame somebody with yard signs because you don't agree with his politics. Do you know him as a person? Do you know what kind of family man he is? Do you know what his faith is? Do you know what kind of person he is? No. You're going to shame him because you don't agree with him. How shallow and how immature is that? And I, I wrote a long email to him, and I'm like, shame on you. All right, if that's the way you want to play it. But let me believe there's something in you that has more sense and to continue doing that. They wrote me back. They stopped producing and distributing the signs. You still see them every now and then. And they may start again. I have no idea. But they stopped. They, they told me they stopped. Didn't say I was right, but pretty much said I was right. Because it's true. And you get these social media sites like next door where they're shaming people. Stop it. Just stop it. Stop it. And you keep that in mind. And the only reason I'm giving you these illustrations, any organization that tries to shame you or guilt you is trying to control you. And always keep that in mind. Always.
any person trying to shame and guilt you is trying to control you. There's no way to produce behavior in people. Any kind of lasting or positive behavior, it does not come through shame. Nothing good comes out of shame. Nothing. You might get somebody to stop doing something for a while, but their heart ain't changed. It's not. So if Satan can stop us, if he can devour us little by little through shame and guilt, he can control our behavior. And he does. He makes us ineffective spiritually. He described Joshua, our representative, they describe him as a brand plucked from a fire. And I just want you to, I'm going to keep this as simple as I can. Now, there's other ways you can interpret this. I'm just going to interpret this the simplest way. A stick's in a fire. You pull that stick out of the fire. What's it like? It's been in there for a little while. What is it? Yeah. What color is it usually? Black and gray, right? Yeah. What if you touch it? Oh, well, let's say it cools down. What if you touch it? It's dirty, right? It's super dirty. And and that's the idea. If you pull a stick out of a fire, it, part of it's consumed. It's weak, right? A burned stick is weak, and it's dirty. And that's what God is saying about Joshua by calling him that brand. That's one thing He's saying about him. That brand pulled from the fire. He's dirty and weak. And what does that say about us? What does it say? Honestly, we're dirty and weak. You should probably say that. You know, even if it's just really quiet. Dirty and weak. Right? I'm dirty and weak. To allow for that to be a part of how we can understand what's going on in our life. We're dirty and we're weak. Like a brand pulled from the fire. We might be dirty and weak, but here's the important part of that. We're not consumed. We're not consumed. Meaning, there's hope. There's life. There's a future. We're still a stick. We might be weak and dirty, but we're still a stick. We didn't get fully consumed so that there's nothing left. There's always something left, and we pull that from the fire. And so the, the, the people of God were being described here. They're dirty, they're weak, but they're still there. They're still there and there's hope. And there's hope for change. And so this dirty stick, this weakened stick, this, this, this Joshua, this representative of us, here we are, dirty and weak, and we're being accused by our adversary. Standing in a court of law. We know is the accuser. And what you see from this vision is that the argument begins, the argument ends, and it's so insignificant we don't know anything about it. And all I can assume is we don't need to know. Because it's not important. But the argument began, the argument ended, and you think about what Satan would be demanding here. What is the accusation? What's the design for it? Well, the, the design of it is that Satan 
wanted God to withdraw his favor from us, from Joshua. He wanted him to withdraw his favor from us. He wanted justice. And here are you justice freaks. I want you just to hear me. Seriously, because I'm one of them. Satan is demanding justice. These people, and you can accuse them of whatever you want, they're selfish, they're weak, they're weak-willed, they're dirty, they're sinful. They're doing all these things. They're not doing things they're supposed to do. They're doing things they're not supposed to do. They've made decisions against God. They've made decisions, same decisions they were making before they went off into exile. You send them off for 70 years, they come back, and they don't. They didn't learn anything. Nothing. I want justice. Well, you see, Satan is technically correct, but the substance is wrong. The substance is wrong. You can say, oh, you know, technically that's correct. What would justice demand? Justice demands, you know, well, we'll just withdraw grace and uh, we can send them off into captivity again like he did last time. Nope. That's wrong, though. It's technically right, but the substance is wrong. Somebody look at Revelation 12.10. Revelation 12.10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now have come salvation and power in the kingdom of our God and the authority of the Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Alright. Alright, so, so that gives you right, a picture of ultimate victory. Flawless victory. And But it also tells you what the devil's up to, right? What's the devil up to? What's it say at the end of that verse, last few words of the verse? He accuses us before God day and night. So what's he up to? Accusing us before God. That's what he's up to. And so that, that's what he does. And so we don't have to wonder about what he's up to. We know what he's up to. That's what he's up to. We have a Bible verse that tells us what he's up to. So he's up to that. He's just wrong in substance. See, the accusations may be accurate. The accusations may be correct. The accusations may be something that's actually going on. But he's missing something. He's missing something that he doesn't experience himself. He's missing something that he didn't believe existed before. He's missing something that if he had known of it and he believed in it, he would have never rebelled against God. And he obviously doesn't believe in it. He obviously doesn't see it. He obviously doesn't understand the mercy and the grace of God. He just can't do it. And so he just keeps accusing, keeps accusing, and keeps accusing. So, we didn't see it. wasn't described in detail, anything like it. All we get is the verdict. What's the verdict? The verdict is, is that the prosecuting attorney... Is then, is then rebuked, rebuked by the judge and by the defense attorney, and the prosecuting attorney is rebuked and corrected. 
That's what we see. That's the verdict. The verdict is, is that, hey, Satan, you're guilty, you're wrong, and you need to get it right. So he's the one trying to bring the accusation, but he's the one that gets rebuked. He's the one trying to, to say, all right, you need to withdraw your grace, but he's the one that needs to be corrected. Get it? You get it? You got the accuser, you've got the prosecutor, the verdict of the judge is, you're messed up, prosecutor. Can you accept that he's messed up? Can you accept that he's wrong, that he's rebuked, and he's corrected? Because if you can accept that, maybe you'll just stop listening to him. Maybe. I mean, I have no idea, but maybe you will. Just stop listening to him. Because in God's purposes, and by the choice, his choice, he chooses you. That's God's purpose. And that's God's choice that he's choosing you. But you're dirty. Right. Joshua was dirty. You're weak. Right. But he was weak. He was the brand plucked from the fire. I mean, he's dirty, weak. That's all there is to it. Those were all true things. But the accusations of the devil, he has to be rebuked and corrected for what he's done. Why? Because in God's purpose and by his choice, he has chosen you and me. Did we do anything to cause him to do that? Nope. Did we somehow entice him to do that? No. We talk him into it? Nope. It's just his choice. And this is the hardest thing for people to understand. This is the hardest thing for people to get a hold of. And yet you see it through the whole Bible. God's really clear about this. This is something that is not a mystery, necessarily. It's just his choice. It's not something that is something that we need to make something else up about. You see it over and over and over again. The prophets are really clear about this. That God has a purpose, God has a plan, and God makes a choice, and His choice is you and me. That's His choice. And so if that's going to be His choice, you and me, His great purpose for our lives, His great purpose for His people, His great purpose of the church, in fact, his undeserved mercy will not be turned aside by our filth. And that's an important truth and concept for you to understand. I'll say it again, not as flamboyantly. But his great purpose, his undeserved mercy, are not turned aside by our filth. They are not. That was the lesson that Zechariah was given to the people of Jerusalem and what he was selling them is live. 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 That, that yeah, maybe some things need to change here. Alright? Maybe some priorities need to change. But something in you needs to come to life. They've been slaves for 70 years. A generation that had been brought up in slavery. Something needed to come to life. 
Then we're going to come back to Jerusalem and continue to live as slaves, getting theirs. Making sure they're getting what they need. And not giving a hoot about what God wants and what God's directing and what God has for them. But they need to recenter their hearts. And they need to stop living as slaves and begin to live as the free men and women that God had created them to be, that God wanted them to be. And as that began to change in their heart, it would redirect them toward the purposes and toward the plans that God had for them. Because His mercy is not going to be turned aside by their filth. It won't. His purposes for them are not going to be turned aside because of their filth. They won't. His plan is not going to be turned aside because of their filth. It's not going to happen. It's not going to be their filth. It's not going to be their weakness. It's not going to be the accusation of the devil. None of those things are going to turn any of what God wants to do through them aside. Not one thing. And we need to begin to hold on to that in our own hearts and lives. Like I said, people dealing with shame and guilt in this room likely were brought up in the church. Okay? And I'm sad to say that, and I'm sad to, to report that, but that's probably the case. Because over the years, centuries, millennia, the church figured out you can control people through guilt and shame. And they've been doing it ever since. So after Satan is rebuked and corrected, that's the end of the trial. When the prosecutor gets rebuked and corrected, trial is over. Trial is over. And the end result of that, with this trial being over, the conclusion, if we can hear it, can you hear the verdict? If the conclusion is that God is not going to be turned aside, His mercy is not going to be turned aside, His purpose and His plans are not going to be turned aside because of our filth, because of our weakness. What happens is, is you read down a verse from what we were reading, and you see something happens miraculously to Joshua, to us. What miraculously happens is, is that he's made clean. He's given a whole clean set of clothes and everything changes on the outside. You see, this is the way it works. Something inside needs to change for something outside to really change. Something inside needs to be different for something outside to actually be different. You know, our love is limited. This is part of the problem with us accepting this. Our love is limited. There's nobody in here with unconditional love. Sorry. Just not. And, and people try to say, well, well, dogs have unconditional. No, they don't. No, they don't. No. Nope. We don't have unconditional love, not in the true sense of the word. We just don't. And you can pick the person you love the most on the face of the earth and it's not unconditional. None of us can do it. It's an eternal quality that we just don't have. We don't possess it. And and so God is, is not limited. His love is not limited. And you think about how we forgive. Like we forgive people, but then we become wearied in doing that. Like, right? Somebody hurts you, you forgive them. I forgive you. But then they hurt you again. Oh, yeah, well, I forgive you again. You know, it's like a drug addict that lives in your house. 
No, really. Like, they'll steal from you. If anybody ever had a drug addict living in your house, what happens is, if you didn't, thank the Lord, because they'll steal from you. They're going to steal from you. And so they take stuff. And so then, all right, they go get a fix. They come back. I'm really, I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. Okay. Well, then don't do it again. All right, I won't. A couple weeks later, what's going to happen? They're going to steal from you. Right? And then they go off and they do whatever they're going to do. They spend all the money. They steal from you. Come back. I'm really sorry because I need somewhere to live. I'm really sorry. I, I can't believe I did that. It won't happen again. I mean, sincerely, that's what they say. And a couple weeks later, they're going to steal from you again. And they're going to go off. They're going to do their drugs. And they're going to come back. And then they're going to steal from you again. A couple weeks later, they're going to be sorry or whatever. So, as a person... Can you imagine, if you've never been through that, can you imagine you're going to grow weary of that after a little while, right? Yeah. Some of you can make it through two times. Some of you can make it through three times. Some of you can make it through four times. And then the fifth time, I just punch them right in the face. Because I lost patience. I grew weary of mercy. Because I'm a person. Okay? I'm a person. You let somebody steal from you five times, all right? You're going to grow weary because you're a person. God didn't like that. And we have to get that in our heads. He's just not like that. So the reason people can't understand God's mercy and grace or even get a concept of it is because they try to apply their own mercy and grace to him, and you can't do that. Well, I'd be sick of this by now. Well, of course you would. Of course you would. That's just the way we are. But he's not like that. And to be able to step out of how we are, to accept the fact that He's not like us in that way. And understand Him in a bigger picture of Him not being like us in that way, is to put ourselves in a position to really begin to receive His mercy and grace in our life. Even though we're dirty and we're weak. Because as we can do that, and we get changed in here, Things on the outside begin to change. You see, Joshua had to be changed in here. The people needed a change here. And the end result of that is that Joshua's clothes are changed. I mean, we have an assurance of God's favor over our lives. What does that mean? It means God likes you. And we have assurance of that, that God likes you. And he is willing, willing to wait and work with you in a process of change in your life that may not happen overnight. May not. Probably won't. And the real question is, can you accept that? Can you accept that? Talking to you religious people, can you accept that? if you can, you're going to put yourself in a position to actually grow in Jesus. To see His love multiplied in your heart, in your life, in your soul, your spirit. To see love multiplied. To see mercy multiplied. To see grace multiplied in you. Because you actually see Him for who He is. I mean, we got an Old Testament prophet here that understood more about the gospel 
than some people brought up in the church. You get that? He understands more about the gospel than people that have heard it their whole lives. And he's just working off revelation. The revelation that God gave him. And he's willing to believe that. And he's willing to move forward with that. And he's willing to live in that. And he's willing to teach the people of Jerusalem that revelation. Because he wanted to see them actually change. But he was going to have to speak this into their spirit for them to change on the outside. And you know what? They did. They did. They did. They, they left behind their selfishness. Am I saying every single person? No. But as a people, they left behind their selfishness. You know what? They built that temple. They built that wall. They rebuilt their life, and they never strayed again. Because something changed in here as a result of this kind of prophecy, this kind of teaching, and then it changed on the outside and was a lasting change in the life of the people of Israel. We got the historical proof of it that they were overrun by other groups, they were overrun by the Greeks, they were overrun by the Romans, they were overrun by others, and they held their ground and their faith, and they continued living in such a way that they honored God for hundreds of years. But something changed in here. I'd like to encourage you to respond to that in your spirit. I, you know, especially if you have such a hard time with this, if you deal with guilt and shame, you're going to have to see God for who He is. Let God reveal Himself. Let Him show Himself to you. But you're going to have to deal with that in your life. Because it's through that change in your heart and your spirit that you begin to see the outward change in reality. Not just pretend world. Not just I'm going to act a certain way because that's what's expected of me or I'm going to act a certain way because that's what's socially acceptable, but to actually see a change in your heart that's going to produce a real change elsewhere in your life. God only knows we're dirty and weak. It's no secret. But it doesn't stop His plan, His purpose and His unmerited grace and mercy in your life. It doesn't turn it aside one bit. Can you receive that? I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank You for just Your mercy tonight and Your grace over us. I thank You that You know who we are. And we do have an accuser. We do. And sometimes he's really loud. And sometimes he's really persistent. But he's just seeking to devour us. He's seeking to eat us alive. And the choice is ours. Whether or not we're going to listen to that mess, or we're going to just send him packing. Because we don't care. Because it doesn't matter. The trial's been had. It's over. He's the one that got rebuked. He's the one that got corrected because He doesn't know our Father. And He doesn't know our Savior the way that we do. 
So God, I pray specifically for people tonight to stop listening to that mess in their life, those lies, those accusations. God, even if some of them are true, it doesn't matter. He's still the one that's rebuked. He's still the one that needs to be corrected because he doesn't understand you. Your choice. Your purpose. Your plan. Your mercy. And your grace. They will not be turned aside. So God, tonight I, I pray as people we can receive that. I pray as a people we can live in that. I pray as a people we can allow for that kind of mercy and grace in our lives. And we can shut down that, that voice of the devil in our life. That sound of the devil in our life. We can just shut it down. I pray for the voice of grace and mercy and love to be that much louder in our lives than the voice of the accuser. So God, I, I pray change to the inner person tonight. I pray you begin a change in our hearts. I pray you begin a change in our spirits tonight. And we look forward to the fruit whenever it comes. We look forward to the fruit in our lives as we live our lives and we go about what you've called us to do. I pray we'd stop trying to force things backwards. We'd align ourselves with your purposes. We'd align ourselves with your plan. We'd align ourselves for what you would call the practical change in our life, which is a really spiritual change producing fruit in the days and the weeks and the months and the years ahead. We give you thanks tonight. We ask God that we would participate with you in that change. We give you honor, praise, give you thanks for the life you've given us to live. We ask these things in Jesus' name. I screw you by saying amen. Amen. Good to see everybody tonight. Bless you. And uh, we'll see you again. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. You know, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm -hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters... You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the comunidad. Yeah, see, there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm hmm Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University... UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah.